Have you ever worked with a student who did not have a way to communicate with the world and who also engaged in unsafe problem behavior that was a barrier to their learning and really just accessing the community and school environment? That is what I'm going to be sharing about today. Welcome to episode 133 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. I am your host, Rose Griffin, and this is our third installment for our Autism Case Study Series. And I'm going to be sharing with you a journey of a student that I worked with in a non-public program who actually came to us with a beautiful, capital B, beautifully set up AAC device, but the student was not using it. Um, The student learned how to use their AAC device, was able to request things, was able to comment, was able to talk to people in the community, was able to generate novel sentences during academic tasks and engage in modified leisure activities. This is such an amazing story of a student who works so hard in a collaborative team effort. I'll share my our assessment, what my service delivery looked like, and how we helped the student um, go from not being able to communicate to being able to use their device on their own, not only at school, not only at home, but in the community as well. Buckle up. This is a good one. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. I can't wait to spend time with you here today on episode 133 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. This is a solo show and our third installment of our Autism Case Study Series. I have always divided my time historically across my career between working in public settings and also working in non-public programs. And so on episode one, I shared a learner's story from my public school experience. On episode two of the Autism Case Study Series, I shared an experience of a learner who was working in, I was working with in a non public program. And on episode three of our autism case study series, I am sharing with you a learner I was working with in a non-public program. We're going to round out the autism case study series with the fourth episode. And it is going to be about a student who was two when I met him. And it was a wonderful student to work with. And so that will be our last installment of the Autism Case Study Series. I feel like sometimes when the school year is going, even though I have my own business now and I work in the summer, um, I still think, you know, I'm a public educator at heart, right? My parents were both retired um, teachers and I I don't know, maybe someday I'll find my way back to the public schools, who knows? Um, But my brain thinks in school years. So um, most of you who are tuning in and listening, a lot of my listeners do work in a school. Um, Some of you work in a clinic. And so during the school year, I feel like there's so many topics that come up that I get asked questions about that I want to make sure that I cover. That something like this autism case study series, I would feel like um, maybe I needed to cover different topics during the school year. You know, maybe you have a kid with selective mutism and that's something that comes up and I do a show on it or executive functioning or apraxia or AAC. Um, And I love having this time um, because it's my own podcast. So I get to plan out the episodes with your 
input and feedback, which I always love hearing from you. Um, And so I like being able to share about these students because sometimes I feel like if you're the only speech therapist or only BCBA in a district, um, you might just feel isolated and you may not have a group and you may not have um, support. And so I hope that by sharing these very specific cases with you, that you are feeling like you can relate to these students and that maybe it is going to give you new ideas and actionable tips and strategies. That's one of my key phrases. I say a lot, but it's true. I want my material and content that I share to be immediately applicable for your students. So I love that you're listening to um, the autism case study experience and that I hope that this fills you with ideas that you can use to help your students who may be struggling to find their voice. So today the case and the client that I want to share with you is a student who I met who was in elementary school. And I had met this student because I was his speech therapist in a non-public program. And he um, was just such an amazing student. I actually did this really cool YouTube video Um that is really kind of old now. So I probably won't even put it in the show notes like I do, but I did. Um, there's this really amazing speech therapist um, and she had a YouTube channel and we would she would put together all the graphics and we kind of narrate a case study. I think I did that six, five or six years ago about this student. So some things have changed a little bit. So I'm just going to share um, with you today. So if you're working with a student who engages in unsafe problem behavior that is a barrier to their learning, that is a barrier to them accessing even your speech therapy services or your ABA services. Um, That's the type of student that I'm talking about today. Um, The student that I was working with um, was elementary aged, and I was seeing him in a non-public program. And he was from a very small, very rural district here in Ohio. And he came to us with actually a very amazing AAC device uh, set up beautifully with real life pictures of people in his environment, real life pictures of things that he loved and enjoyed. But this is a big but he never used it. He didn't use it at home. He didn't use it at school. It was set up in a really nice way, but he wasn't utilizing the AAC device. And he didn't realize that that was his way to communicate. Um, And so when I first met him, he really did engage in um, aggressive behavior towards staff members. And he also engaged in self-injurious behavior. Now, I've specialized in working with autistic learners for 20 years. So I definitely have worked in clinical placements where there are students who are engaging in, sometimes it's called SIB, you may hear that in the field, um, self-injurious behavior. And it's not something that you ever want anybody um, to engage in. But, you know, we really wanted to help this student decrease those behaviors and increase his overall communication, which he did in such a beautiful way that I'm so excited um, to share about this student. And if you're really an OG and you have been here a while, you might have taken my uh, five-hour signature autism course called Help Me Find My Voice. And this student, I have videos of this student uh, working and showing different skills that we worked on um, together. So you may have actually seen this student before if you um, have been a part of that course. So I met this student. He came to us. We did, for this student, 
Um, this was quite a while back. We did more informal assessment for the students um, because they were not able to engage in standardized assessments and they were not able to um, sit and engage in standardized testing or things like that. And so we used some informal measures to get a snapshot of how the student's current communication was. And the student really was using their behavior to communicate and kind of navigate and orient um, to their day. This student was attending that small rural district um, and then did have to be uh, transported almost an hour um, for this specialized program, which was fine, um, but probably definitely hard um, for the student. They didn't mind being on, tra- on tra- in the transportation, which is good, which is a plus. Um, and so I would see this student one hour uh, a week. And so this student, because they were uh, an emerging communicator, I would go into the student's classroom um, and I would work with the student. And because the student's behavior was unsafe towards staff and towards themselves as well, they were in a classroom and it was a classroom of one. Um, so he had his own classroom. And when he first came into our program, he was staffed two uh, males to him um, just to make sure that everybody was safe. And I would go in and I would provide speech therapy. And um, I really love working with the student. And his whole first IP, I remember that we worked on building his receptive vocabulary. So his understanding. Um, and I think that's the video that I show and help me find my voice. And so we worked on building up his understanding of different vocabulary, different nouns, different actions. And we worked on requesting and we worked on joint attention and we worked on social engagement. So, and what else do we work on? Oh, you know what else we worked on? We worked on him um, utilizing his iPad. The thing that was really interesting about him, and now it's really just, this is kind of how everybody does it, but we had, um, and we had a really great relationship with the school district. So this is one where I was the kind of, if you think of it, quote unquote, private school um speech therapist. And then he had a district team, you know, that was helping with IEP creation and um, was helping with testing as needed and would come observe and just wanted to make sure that they were staying in touch with the student because it was, you know, he was in his home district um, and then attending this private school. So we were had a good relationship with the district is what I was trying to say, because that's not, that's not always the case. That is not always the case. Um, but this is the case we really did. And so what was nice about that is he had an AAC device that was his dedicated. I was going to use the word talker. I hate when people say that, but I don't judge if you say that. So talker, it was his, it was his dedicated speech generating device. Okay. It was how he was using his, um, cannot remember what, uh, he used. I think it was Prolo Quotico, but I cannot remember. So his dedicated AAC. We just used whatever program he came in with for familiarity, um, and and that and ended up being completely fine. And then he had another iPad that was dedicated just for leisure and for fun. So if he wanted to watch a movie or if we did an iPad game or, you know, something like that, or he wanted to take a picture or he wanted to look at pictures. Um, so he had two different iPads, which now um, since iPads have been out, you know, when I first started in the field, believe it or not, brace yourself, newbies, iPads did not exist. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so old. Okay. But anyway, iPads didn't exist. So over time we've learned, right? Like, okay, this is your dedicated AAC device. This is your dedicated 
fun iPad. Now, I know that there could be financial barriers and things like that, um, but I do want to talk about it that way because if a student has a device and they're using their iPad, um, but they also use it for YouTube, some people will try to use guided access so they can't get out of their AAC device, but then that just causes a lot of upset by the student because they're like, hey, I know this thing plays YouTube videos and that's what I want to be doing right now. Um, so just something to think about kind of practicing at the top of our game. Um, I know there can be some financial barriers, but I just want to give you a picture of what the student's journey was like. And so um, what was amazing about this student is I would go in and I would see this student. Um, and I actually, this student had um, a pretty good test duration. So I'd actually go in and I'd see the student one time a week and I would stay there for about 50 minutes. And then I, the last 10 minutes, I would do like a home note and I would talk with his one-on-one um, -on -one technicians um, who I became very close with because they were reinforcing vocabulary and language and communication goals every day that he did not get speech therapy. Um, so I was working in this really dynamo um, non-public program that one of my best, best friends has actually um, helped to create. So um so I would go in, I would see him for the hour. We would His sessions would start with usually some work on joint attention or some type of shared activity, like reading a book. Um, he didn't really like music. That wasn't something he loved. So we didn't really do a lot of that. Um, he was kind of the one where, I've talked about this before, but when I was doing joint attention jam fest, which was this thing I did on Instagram this past um, fall and winter, uh, you know, I always say when you're reading a book or you're singing a song, you know, be excited, be your level of excited. Well, this kid didn't really, he didn't love all that. I didn't need to go in and be like, hey, how's it going? He didn't like that. It was just like, oh, hey, how are you? It's great to see ya. Um, he was just more mature than that. He just, you know, didn't like all the the kiddish kind of stuff. Um, so I read the room, really important as a therapist and BCBA to read the room. Um, and so that was kind of the tone of our sessions. I was excited to see him. He seemed to really like our sessions. He, um, you know, engaged in these structured activities for a very long time. And what was so cool is he just, you know, I think he, because maybe, you know, it's hard to say, you know, why didn't, why was his learning history such that he was, you know, in elementary school and he had no way to communicate. I, I you know, I don't know. Um, but once we were able to work together real collaboratively and with the parents too, his parents were just like, oh, they were just great, great people. Um, and his family, he had siblings and things like that. Um, he, we were able to really help this student. Um, and so he came in with the beautiful device, not using it at all. And then we started working on things like requesting, joint attention, social engagement, and receptive ID of nouns and actions. Um, and quickly, in the first year, we really just worked on him carrying his device from place to place. He really loved to orient in the um, school environment and so, he, and, and what was fascinating about this student, where in episode uh, two of our autism case study series, that particular student was like, I don't want to carry my iPad. I don't like that thing. I'm not putting this strap across my body. This student who I'm talking about in case study three, he, he really loved this device and he realized that it was his voice. Um, so much so that one time, um, his second year with us, his iPad just had some kind of technical difficulty and he couldn't get his AAC device to work. Um, and he, he wasn't aggressive or anything like that towards us, um, but he was confused and he actually started crying. He was just very upset. And I was, oh, makes me want to start to cry now too, just thinking about it. Um, 
So we sent him home that day with a core board um, just to kind of get by, you know, and then we were able to to remedy that. Um, and he had his device the next day, which was good. But that still kind of brings tears to my eyes because it was in that moment that I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, here's this kid who's, you know, elementary school. He had no way to communicate, um, had this beautiful device and for whatever reason wasn't, you know, using it. Um, and then when we all came together and collaborated, he he understood. He understood that that device was his voice. And that was such a powerful moment um, for me as a as an educator. So we would work on um, those types of things. That's how our sessions would start is we would start by working on requesting. Um, and he, he had a whole variety of things that he really loved. He had a mini trampoline that he really loved. He um, had certain iPad games that he really Really liked to play. He liked to take a walk around the clinic, um, things like that. And so we would work on that for maybe 10, 15 minutes. Um, and then we would segue into some things that were a little bit more structured. So he was working on some receptive um, identification of nouns and actions. So we would typically start with a field of three. So I put out three cards and then I would have, you know, say touch pizza or give me pizza or hand me pizza or where's pizza, whatever it was. We use things that he really loved and enjoyed. Obviously, I always like to use um, vocabulary that's preferred by the student. Um, and so, and we taught loosely. There's this concept of teaching loosely. So Dr. Carbone is, I think, who taught me that. Um, and it's the idea of if you're going to give a student an instruction, um, so let's say it's a receptive identification program and you have three cards out and it's pizza because you know your student loves pizza and you want to help build their receptive vocabulary. And so you might say, touch pizza. And then you might say, give me pizza. And you might say, where's pizza? Um, and that's the idea of generalizing, right? We don't want our kids to um, think that I can only say this one thing and that's the only thing that it means um, because, you know, that's something that people say about ABA is that, you know, it's you're teaching robotically and we're not generalizing and it's not generative language. Well, you know, the SLP BCBA in me uh, makes, makes, wants to make sure that we are teaching loosely. So if you're not, um, something to think about. So we worked on that. And then the first whole year, he really was just uh, orienting to having his device and just teaching him that empowering him that this is your voice and this is important. And then into years two and three, we started to work on things like labeling, labeling functional words, labeling preferred words, labeling actions, putting together phrases. Um, it was really at this time that I started to think about uh, creating the action builder cards, which is one of the reasons I well, actually, it's the whole entire reason I started my business here at APA Speech. Thank you, client, and thank you, Action uh, Action Builder Cards, uh, because I wouldn't be doing this now. Um, but the Action Builder Cards are a set of 100 flashcards, and they are multiple examples of 13 functional actions. And so it was really this particular student. So, you know, he was able to label things like eating, and he was able to label different um nouns like ice cream and pizza, cause, right? Because we had, those were some of his favorites foods. And so then when we were working on more generative language and generalizing and using multiple exemplar training, um, we were doing phrases like eating pizza, eating ice cream. Uh, and I remember telling the staff members, um, you know, let's, let's make some multiple pictures of these because, you know, we want to plan for generalization. Um, and it just seemed like I had a lot of students we were doing that for. And then boom, I thought about the action builder cards and I create them. 
And now we sell them through distributors um, and at the website. So, and have sold thousands and thousands. So really exciting. It kind of all started there. So we would work on that. And then other things that we would start to work on are more modified uh, leisure activities. And so this was really hard for this particular student because this particular student had a classroom um, that they were in a classroom with. And then I think, you know, failed to mention that. So year one, I'd say the first six months, he had two staff with one student, and then I would come in, I would do speech therapy. The student also received occupational therapy as well um, in his classroom, um, just for safety of everybody. And then and then year two, um, and after those first six months, he was working with just one staff member, a male staff member. And then um, in subsequent years, we started to work on leisure skills. And so one of the leisure skills that we worked on was modified memory. Now I would say modified matching um, because I feel like memory is kind of falling out of popularity. Um, so you might have to Google it. If you're a newbie in the field, you might have to Google what memory is. But we would, I would set aside five matches, 10 matches, and then we would put some of the cards face up and I'd hand him a card and he would make a match and put it into a pile. And having those materials just there and not swiping them and not getting upset um, and wanting to engage with them was really, really exciting for that student. So they were able to do modified memory. I will put that in the show notes. Um, and what we would do is I would show him how we were going to play. I would show the video on my iPad, my clinic-issued iPad. Um, I would show the video and then we would play it together. Or I'd show the video and he'd play it with his technician. So I built a really good rapport with his technicians too. And they were just amazing um, at working with him. We also worked on a little bit of verbal imitation. He was able to use his voice for some things and I could tell that he really enjoyed that. So we also worked on that. Um, another thing that was really amazing about this particular student is that we also worked on him using his device in the community. So where I, this was very close to my hometown and there were just, you know, places to go out and get lunch and, you know, things like that. Like, uh, and so that was a big part of this very specialized program is going out on community-based outings. And so I would meet the kids out. We would practice in speech therapy, orienting to what Dairy Queen or McDonald's or wherever the kids were going to get lunch, Pizza Hut. And then he would practice. And I actually included that in one of my um, courses to help me find my voice is him using his device in public with um with the cashier and telling them what he wanted to eat, which I think is so powerful. You know, here this kid comes in, he's got this beautiful device. He had very unsafe behavior that was making his world very small because his family couldn't take him in the community. He was coming to us for a specialized program. So having him be able to have these experiences to be able to communicate, number one, on his own, was absolutely amazing and life-changing for him and his entire family. And number two, for him to be able to go into the community and use this device. Anytime I see somebody in the community and they have an AAC device or they're using it, I'm just choked up because I'm like, oh, you know, this person's speech therapist would be so proud um, and parent. So we did things like that. So that was really, really functional for him to not only be working on these things in the school environment, but to also generalize them to the community. So we really um, worked on individual goals. That was really his uh, main focus is on building up a robust way for this particular student to communicate, which he did. And so um, I think I stopped being his speech therapist because I stopped working in that non-public program when I started the idea for the Action Builder cards, and I started ABA Speech. And even though I really love that program, um, I just didn't have time to devote to it anymore. So then instead of working there, 
I started working for ABA Speech on those days, um, which was really, really fun to be able to get those action builder cards out um, into the world. And so it was amazing to see his growth from coming in um, to a public, from public school to a non-public program, getting very, very robust individualized instruction that he so needed for him to realize that his AAC device is his voice um, and showing the power that it has and him using it to request and him using it to put together sentences, answer questions, engage in modified leisure skills, um, other things that happened for that student um, that his world just got a lot bigger. He was able to go to his grandparents' home, which he was never able to before, um, because we saw an increase in communication and a decrease in that behavior. And um, that is what we want for every single student and every single family who may be um, struggling with these types of concerns or students that may have these types of support needs. And so... He was able to use his device for a variety of functions. He was able to work then with just one staff member. Um, and, and now I've heard works with just one female staff member, which is really, really great. Um, and is able to go to his grandparents' home, is able to have babysitters at his home, is able to go out into the community. Um, and really just gave him when he was able to start communicating. And we were working on this multidisciplinary um, team that you could see this collaboration together. And he was such a hard worker um, and was able to start communicating across environments, across people, out in the community. Um, and it was very, very inspiring. I will make sure in the show notes for our case study today to include the video model for modified memory. I'll also include in the show notes the um, link for Help Me Find My Voice. Help Me Find My Voice is our five-hour ASHA-approved course. Um, the Action Builder cards were actually the cornerstone of why I started ABA Speech. And then shortly after, I started Help Me Find My Voice. Because the thing is, I, in graduate school, did not learn how to help students who are hard to help. Um, students who are not communicating at 8, 9, 10, 18. Um, and I just didn't have that kind of guidance. I really didn't. And so I don't want you to feel that way. If you're working with students and you're listening to this case studies and you're like, Rose, that that's my caseload. Or, you know, I have a student that's just like that. Um, I want you to feel confident. I want you to feel confident in your therapy that you're providing for that student and knowing that you're listening to this information, you're taking it in, very actionable strategies that you can use in your next session and that you are going to make a difference in the life of every child that you work with. So in the show notes today, I will put a link for the Action Builder cards. Help me find my voice, our five-hour ASHA-approved course for school-age students. And I will also put in the modified memory game from our YouTube. I hope that this has been a helpful episode. And our last installment of our Autism Case Study Series is taking place next week. And I will be discussing a toddler, a two-year-old who is autistic, not yet speaking, actually lived right here in my hometown, which was amazing. And I was able to work with that student for two years and their growth was amazing. I can't wait to share that story with you and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? 
Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.